0: good to be with you this morning. Um, Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we come with hearts that are open, and Lord, we are expecting you to speak today. And Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we silence all other voices, all distractions that right now would try to steal anything that you want your people to have. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lead us into all truth. Open our hearts and minds for everything you have today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, one of the things we love to do as a family is go to the movies. There's something about the big screen, especially now, that also the, the big comfy chairs and your favorite snacks next to you. And a couple of weeks ago, we had the, the, the joy and the pleasure to Uh, see the first two installments of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, which is one of our favorite books, and the the film adaptations are just fantastic. And also, when we realized it was the 20th anniversary of the theatrical release, we just couldn't resist, because these movies were made for the big screen. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote these stories from a lifetime experience of great suffering. Tolkien became an orphan at age 12 when his mother died unexpectedly from undiagnosed diabetes. He served in World War I, in which half of his closest friends died in a single week in the Battle of the Somme. He survived the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. He raised four children during the Great Depression and saw some of them serve during World War II. And Tolkien spent... The, most of the Great Depression years, riding The Hobbit, which came out in 1937. And by the time he'd finished Lord of the Rings in the mid 50s, it was an epic of hope in the face of relentless devastation. Well, there are so many things that I love about Lord of the Rings. I love the epic scope between the battle of good and evil. I love the beauty and the majesty of the setting. I love the depth and the emotions of the characters. But most of all, I love how the story portrays hope, the power of hope in the face of hopelessness. And as I watched the story unfold again for like the hundredth time, I began to be moved in a way that I never had been before. See, sitting in the theater there, it began to hit me just how hard the last year has been. The weight of the darkness and the sadness And we've all lived this year, last year together, so I don't need to go over the details, I think you know what I mean. And then, and then a strange thing happened as the movie and the story progressed, my focus began to change. See, I stopped seeing things the way that they have been, and I began to see things the way they're gonna be. See, I began to feel hope, I began to feel courage rise, and that began to replace the doubt and the despair. Stories can touch our imagination and our heart in a way that arguments and data can't. There is a power to convince and to persuade that happens inside of us without us even knowing. And as we've heard the last two weeks, the Lord of the Rings, like every good story, touches us deeply because it borrows its truth from the great story. And we all need to be reminded that our little stories find great meaning in God's great story. And in this series, this is our story. We've heard that Christianity, and we know this, but it's a good reminder, Christianity isn't moralistic, it's not therapeutic, it's not about knowing and doing better or feeling better, as good as that is, but rather it's about a grand, overarching narrative the great story that gives us answers to life's biggest questions and again here they are for review first where did we come from what are our origins next why are we here what's our purpose third who are we what's our identity and fourth where are we going what's our destiny every single one of us need answers to those questions to find meaning in life and last week Pastor Tim answered the question of origin, and today I want to answer partly the question of why are we here? What is our purpose? And my goal for today's message is simple, is first that we, we do see that our stories matter, but second, that we have a fresh revelation that we have been blessed, we have been richly blessed in order that we might be a blessing. And as we begin, I need to pick up the baton from Pastor Tim and hit some important highlights that happened between Genesis chapter 3, where we left off, and Genesis chapter 12 today. And in those chapters, there's more good, Uh, there's a whole lot of bad, and a whole lot more ugly. In Genesis 4, we have the record of the first murder, where Cain kills his brother Abel. In Genesis chapter chapter 6 through 9, we have the account of Noah and the devastation and the horror of the great flood. Listen to what Genesis 7 says here in uh, chapter 7 and verse 22. We're speaking about what happened there. The author says, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. I feel that sometimes we read certain accounts in the Bible that we've read them for so many years that if we're not careful, we miss the utter destruction and catastrophe This isn't just a story in our children's Bible. This is our history. In chapter nine, God, in his grace, begins to to multiply people and families on the earth again. And you come to chapter 10 in the table of nations, and it looks like things are going all right. And then we come to chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel. Chapter 11, verse two. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Notice two things here. First is the pride and the arrogance in their own accomplishments. They were seeking the glory that only belongs to the Lord. Second is the disobedience and rebellion. God's people were commanded twice to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. And verse 4 says that they deliberately did not want to be dispersed. They did not want to multiply. In response to the pride and the arrogance and the rebellion, God brings confusion and separation, and he does scatter them across the ends of the earth. And here, as we come to the end of chapter 11, I want you to feel the weight of the hopelessness and the despair there is confusion separation and here we're left with a terrible cliffhanger how will this end how will god solve this dilemma as he always does in the face of weakness in the face of failure and against all odds and when all seems to be lost god's answer to this question is a promise To an elderly, childless couple in the land of Babel to launch his mission of blessing and cosmic redemption. Hope is kindled and it begins with a costly call and a glorious promise. Today's text is in Genesis chapter 12. And this is the critical pivot point that connects the creation of fall narratives with the narratives of uh, redemption and new creation. And here, before we get to the text, there are three things that jump out that I just want you to notice. First, is that God loves to bless. It's, the word bless is used here five times in the course of three verses. God is generous. He lavishes his blessings wherever he can. The second thing I want you to notice is that God is a missional God. That means that he has a purpose and an end in mind that he has personally invested in achieving. We see that in God's work of creation, and we also see it in that God here is sending, uh, when He sends and when He goes on mission, His purpose isn't just to get people to heaven. It's a cosmic rescue that brings blessing to every person, every people group, every family, even the earth itself. And the third thing to notice in this passage is God's grace, it's God's unmerited favor and providence that he chooses Abraham's family and the lavish blessings that follow. There is nothing here that Abram's bringing to the table. No resume, no track record. It's all God's grace. And my main text today is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and I'll reference the end of chapter 11 as we go through for context. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, To the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, the first thing to notice here in verse 1 is right from the get go is that. God speaks to Abram. I mean, this alone is a huge development. The context from the end of Genesis chapter 11 and later in Joshua 24 indicates that Abram and his family were worshipers of pagan gods in Mesopotamia. There's no record that Abram's family had a deep relationship or knowledge of God. And it starts here in verse 1 with a command from God to Abraham to go. And notice here in Right in the beginning in verse 1, the things that God is calling Abram to leave, to leave and leave behind increase in difficulty. Now, he starts telling Abram to leave his homeland. Okay, that's, that's not so hard. But then his extended family. And last, to leave his father's house, his closest, his most secure, his most intimate relationships. Each one of these more costly to give up. God is calling Abram to a life changing act of faith. And this rings true in our own lives. If we look back over our time as followers of Jesus, we can all find key moments where God was calling us to let go of important things, important parts of our life to follow him. And what feels like heartbreak and sorrow at what is lost, God will begin to turn to a confident expectation of hope there are certain there are there are certain seasons of life where you feel like you're on top of the world. In the winter of 2001, I was living in New York City, and I've, I've told this story before. But it, at the time, uh, I really felt like I was on the top of the world. I, I had just gotten a huge promotion uh, with a big raise. On top of that, I, I'd landed an apartment on the Upper East Side of Manhattan for a really good price. So if you know what that If you've ever been to New York or heard about that, that's like winning uh, a billion-dollar lottery ticket. It just doesn't happen, right? Um, But more important than all the material blessings that were happening in my life is I had given my life to Christ. God had rescued me from a a life-threatening, dark depression. I, I was living an amazing life. I was going to a wonderful church. I was making friends but God was stirring me. He was calling me to move back to Louisville. I, I remember uh, the, the week, uh, the, the few days before I left New York, I was having lunch, uh, a last lunch with uh, my best friend at the time. His, his name is Kazito Kwashi. He, he, he's, from, he's, from, uh, he's from Ghana. And I just smiled thinking of him because he's such he uh, was such a joy It was such a great friendship And he was, a, he was also a new believer with me We met in the new believers class at church And I just remember I can feel it like it just happened Let When we said goodbye and hugged After that lunch I wept and cried Bitter tears of sorrow I, I didn't understand See I, I was a new Christian I didn't have any real knowledge of the Bible I, I, I didn't have a mentor Or a pastor that I could call And on top of that, I didn't know what I was getting into. I'm moving back to Louisville. I didn't have a solid job. I was moving from a great apartment in Manhattan back to my old room living with my mom. (laughs) You talk about a transition. But I, I, I didn't have a church either. And at the time, I could only see what God was calling me to give up. God never showed me then that I was going to meet Becky, that he was going to give us these three amazing young men, that I would get the joy and the honor and the privilege to serve here at New Life. And I need to tell you something. God always calls you to something when he asks you to leave something. And I would understand later in my walk with God that his blessings are often on the other side of our obedience. He will rarely show us the details. Why? Because if he did, we'd try to manage it and control it in our own strength. And when we do that, we're not trusting God. And trust is the essence of faith. It's not just mental assent or agreement to some facts or doctrine about God. It's a relationship. And there may be some folks here today, maybe maybe you're watching online, and you've been sensing God calling you to a new assignment. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you to change your focus and take your eyes off the things that you're going to be giving up and focus on him, not what the, deal t- not what the details, what it's going to look like, but focus on God himself because he's a good God. He's a good father, and you can trust him. The command of verse 1 here is followed by three amazing promises in verse two and he says God says and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing first there's a promise that God will make Abram into a great nation that his descendants will multiply so much so that they become their own political entity with with a defined territory and a common language and a common government that would eventually become the nation of Israel And there's important context here that we need to consider from the end of chapter 11 in the genealogy of Abraham's family where it mentions that Sarah was barren, that she's unable to have children. And on top of that, they're both advanced in age. And God is communicating that despite the present situation of Sarah's barrenness, and the fact that they were old and beyond the age of, a childbirth. God is going to do His greatest work in what appears to be impossible circumstances. Next, God promises Abraham that He will bless him. The "bless" here in the original Hebrew is a is a word that is rich in meaning and has lost power in our English language. It, 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 the word "bless" includes health, uh, prosperity, wealth, long life, peace fertility of life and fertility of land it's an overabundance of the goodness of God in someone's life blessings are an important theme throughout the Old Testament and an Old Testament blessing of a father to his sons included words of encouragement and details regarding the son's inheritance and uh, prophetic words concerning the future the patriarchs Abraham Isaac and Jacob all gave formal blessings to their children, in some cases to their grandchildren. And, and one of the most beautiful scenes of blessing in the Bible is in Genesis 48. And here in Genesis 48, Joseph is reunited with his family, and his father's come down to live in, in Egypt. And, and here, in, in chapter 48, Joseph hears that his father, Jacob, is at the end of his life, and he takes his two sons to see their grandfather and I'm just going to read this this passage because it's beautiful when Israel saw Joseph's sons he said who are these Joseph said to his father these are my sons whom God has given me here and he said bring them to me please that I may bless them so Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them and Israel said to Joseph I never expected to see your face And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Oh, how touching, how beautiful. And I see here God's delight in bringing unexpected blessings to his children. And when we bless someone, we are acting like God by releasing the goodness of God into their life. We heard some amazing Stories yesterday about John Isaac's life. And a common theme throughout the, the message and the testimonies was how small things behind the scenes can have a very powerful impact. And one of the things that always struck me about John was his humility, his, his sincerity. Years ago, when Becky and I were leading the children's ministry, John John, as we heard yesterday, would take his grandchildren to Kids Park every Sunday he was faithful and and, and starting back then and and throughout the years when he would see me he would always stop and ask how's how's your family doing and and he would tell me that he he's praying for us and he would always end our conversation with these three words God bless you and every time he said it it was life to me see we need to take great care of and remember the, how powerful our words are, okay? This is very important. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Later, James in chapter three says, speaking of the tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. We are living in some of the most frustrating and divisive times that we have ever seen. And I wanna submit a question for you to consider. It's something God's been confronting me with, so I I thought I would just include you in the fun. (laughs) Here's the question. When you speak about people you disagree with, or when you post online, what are your words like? Is it life or death? Is it blessing or cursing? Yesterday during the the service, Phil and I were listening to the testimonies and he he mentioned something to me that I I think we would all agree with. He, He leaned over to me, he said, Kevin, you know, In all the years I knew him, I never heard him say a negative word about anyone. Wow. We heard that John Isaac is leaving behind a mantle of intercessor, and that's true. We need someone to pick that up. But I believe John is also left behind a mantle of kindness and blessing, and that we also need to pick that up. And see this is a mantle that we can all carry and i think that the world could use more of that from us continuing in 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 verse two uh, god says that he will make abram's name great now notice here the great contrast and the great reversal of the disaster at the tower of babel in chapter 11 where the people were seeking to make a name for themselves but god here in his grace says to abraham no no i will make your name great and in saying that god will make abraham's name great here there is a uh, there's a, a royal implication that's communicated here that foreshadows references later in the story G- god says to abraham in genesis chapter 17 he say he says i've made you the father of a multitude of nations i will make you exceedingly fruitful i will make you into nations and kings shall come from you speaking about Sarah God says I will bless her bless her and moreover I will give you a son by her I will bless her and she shall become nations kings of people shall come from her so the, the first command that we heard is here is to go here in verse 2 uh, God ends with a second command to Abraham here. He says here that he's commanding him to to be a blessing. So the second command here is to be a blessing and it's followed by three more promises. Uh, Verse three, God says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Now notice here in verse three that God takes very personally how his people are treated. He will act on their behalf, and he will treat others based on how they treat god 's people, according to this verse. Becky and I are coming up on our eighteenth anniversary this summer, and just thinking back there's so so much excitement about the engagement season uh, when you 're in it you know it's it's just a time of rich blessing there's parties, everyone is just just in congratulating you, and they're for you. It, it really is one of the most beautiful seasons of your life but in in the midst of wedding planning and in paying for rings and honeymoons and thinking about your wedding night the actual service is one of the last things that you think about right but towards towards the end of our wedding service after the exchange of rings and after the exchange of vows pastor tim closed with this statement he said i charge that no one seek to harm this marriage May God be a friend to its friend, and an enemy to its enemies. Oh, that was powerful. I think of that today and it still gives me chills. And that's an example of what's happening here in verse three. God says that those who treat his people well, he will actively bless. And those who don't, he will actively oppose. And this passage crescendos with the final amazing promise that, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God is saying to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families will share in my goodness, will share in my health, will share in my prosperity and my peace, and ultimately, my salvation. And it's hard to wrap your mind around the magnitude of that promise. But please hear me, this is our spiritual heritage. This is our story. And the promise funds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Galatians three Galatians 3.8 says, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, has one of the clearest expositions of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 says, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised in the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This gospel, this good news saves us and then transfers us into God's kingdom, and that's where the fun begins. (coughs) Excuse me. And it leads to the question, As a follower of Jesus, what does it mean to be a blessing? How are we today to fulfill the original promise? Well, I think it's about knowing him and following him and becoming like him in how we think, in what we say, in what we do. John chapter five, verse 36 says, Jesus is saying here, for the works that the father has given me to finish the very works that i am doing testify that the father has sent me and we we look at the gospels what do we see the works that jesus was doing well he he was uh, blessing the common everyday celebrations of life by turning water into wine at the wedding in cana he was reasoning gently and explaining what it means to be born again to a cynical skeptical religious leader He he was restoring the dignity of women and offering eternal life to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus was feeding the hungry. He was healing the sick. He was delivering men from demon possession. There are so many examples. I think you get the point. We are called to bring the kingdom of God, the good and perfect rule of King Jesus into every situation, into every situation conversation into every business transaction and creative endeavor and when the kingdom comes when people truly encounter the love of God through the people of God God's kingdom has a transforming and life-giving power this is so good one of the challenges in world missions is that sometimes there's a disconnect. <coughs> It can sometimes feel uh, transactional, where you may give financially, or you may even go on a trip, but you don't feel sometimes a a real deep connection to the people or the place. As we heard earlier, that's why Haiti is so special. See, our our connection to to Lubin and Pastor Bo is not random. See, there's a story there. How we met all the way to today, there's a story has impacted families in Haiti and dozens of family here at New Life you heard that we've been working in Haiti for, for over 10 years it started after the earthquake in 2010 and you heard about all the projects that we as a church have been able to participate in humanitarian aid building houses construction water filtration all kinds of things and just As Todd shared, the the, the ongoing work, in addition to meeting practical needs, the ongoing spiritual work is to continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to bring freedom to a country that desperately needs to hear the good news. And and the gospel has transformed both the the people and the culture of Lubin socially, economically, and spiritually. And what's really exciting is that this gospel transformation is spreading outside of Lubin to the rest of the fifth section of Haiti. It's amazing. But it's not just Haiti. There are so many opportunities to be a blessing if we could only see it. One of the saddest things to happen over the last year is how so many people have lost a sense of meaning. A sense of purpose. And many people are asking to themselves and out loud, you'll hear them say, What's the point? And even Christians have given themselves over to discouragement and despair. And listen, I've been there too. Sadly, more often than I want to admit. I'm sometimes too obsessed with my my own story and what's happening in my little world and I've lost sight of the big story Mm. in the the final scenes of the two towers the quest to destroy the ring of power is on a razor's edge to failure and the darkness becomes so so powerful that it almost destroys the lifelong friendship between Frodo and Sam and it shows what can happen when the enemy divides us and we forget who we are. When Frodo, in this battle scene, he's tempted to turn over the ring of power to the enemy. Sam runs to him and runs to Frodo to stop him. And as he tumbled to the ground, Frodo takes his sword to Sam's throat. And Sam's fighting for his life. He pleads, it's me, it's your Sam you know you're Sam. And Frodo under the burden of the ring says, I can't do this. And Sam says, I know it's all wrong. By rights we shouldn't even be here, but we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clear. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folks in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. Because they were holding on to something. And Frodo says, What are we holding on to, Sam? And Sam picks Frodo up and he looks him in the eye and he says, That there's still good in this world, Mr. Frodo. And it's worth fighting for. Church, I need you to see that we have so much good worth fighting for. They are your family, your neighbors, your coworkers who are created in God's image. And that means they have incredible dignity and worth to the God of the universe. They are someone Jesus died for. We are in the ultimate story the one that matters most. And we're hearing a lot these days about how the church needs to wake up and fight. And usually what that means is we need to fight for our culture, our way of life, our brand of politics. Oh, please hear me, that is not the fight we are called to. Ephesians 6:12 says, "For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the f- spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Too many of us have given up the fight that really matters. And lately we've been hearing about how bad the culture's getting. And you know what? It's true. There are some terrible things on our horizon that we need to engage with wisdom, with confidence, and with the joy of the Lord. But in an attempt to bring comfort, sometimes we'll say things like, don't worry, don't worry, we're not going to be here much longer because God's going to take us out of here. And the message that that sends, if we're not careful, is escapism instead of mission. It's fear, not faith. In John three sixteen and 17, one of the most famous verses of, uh, of the Bible, <clears throat> Jesus says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to rescue it. Who are we to let it fall into darkness? There are lost and hurting people who need a touch from God, who are desperate for what we have. And they are worth fighting for. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. See, we're not just saved so we can go to heaven when we die. We have been richly blessed so that we will bless others. Listen. Jesus saves us, and then he sends us. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Matthew 28, 19, the great commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you and surely i am with you always to the very end of the age a few years ago at the world missions and evangelism conference i was struck by something that david Parrish shared related to how christians are living out their faith he noted three levels of thinking first was the consumer mentality in this level of thinking, Christians are still, they're still baby Christians, but they're stuck there. See, they're focused on themselves, on, on getting more from the church or getting more for themselves. It's, it's all about their needs and their desires and their healing. And then he went on to say that the second level of thinking is the purpose-driven Christian, which is, which is better. See, the purpose-driven Christian is, fo- is focused on how to make the world a better place, but it still has the person in the center of the world about my purpose my calling my ministry and then the third level of thinking is the kingdom level which is completely focused on God and his mission and it says your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and the difference between level two and three is huge purpose is focused on me but kingdom is missional and is by definition focused on others Christopher Wright is an Old Testament scholar. He makes the following observation, and he says, We often hear the phrase, the church has a mission. That's actually backwards. We should say instead, God's mission has a church. See, it's not our mission, it's God's mission. <clears throat> then David Parrish something, said something that still haunts me today. He says, I'll live for my purpose. But I will die for my mission. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Abraham gave up his homeland. His people, his closest family, so that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And that blessing would come through Jesus, who gave up everything. On the cross, Jesus was pierced so we could be healed. On the cross, Jesus was condemned so we could be set free. On the cross, Jesus was crushed so we could have life. We have been blessed so that we will be a blessing. We have salvation. We have the kingdom. We have the hope of nations. Let's get to work.